Welcome to episode 36 of A Sporting Discussion, your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts. I am AJ Mithin and I'm joined by a man who bats well enough at 10 to play test cricket, Andrew Donison. Andrew, how are you? I'm a proud number 11, thank you, AJ. <laughs> yeah, but you're always the 10th wicket. Another huge episode this week as we take a look at dot point one more abject failure for the Australian Test team dot point two more long time hoodoo is being broken with the Chicago Cubs Islands rugby team and well, Donald Trump has to be in there now. Let's not let's not talk about that. That's not like, sport related. It's not sport related. Not yet. Politics. Stop it. Dot point three. Netball Australia released their new logo for the Super Netball. We'll get to that a little bit later. And we will also uh, do a quick wrap of the week later on. Now, as we always say, a discussion is two ways. Us here at ASD Stadium and you, the listeners. Get in contact with us on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or go to facebook.com slash a sporting discussion so we can make sure we are talking about issues of interest to you. AJ, we kick things off, as always, with confirmations and corrections from the research division. Just the one this week? No errors last week, but I do have a clarification that needs to be made while we were talking about horse racing last week. Mm. We were pulled up by regular listener Simon Carolyn uh, about a uh, horses in cages comment. Or who, who's going into what cage, I believe it was. <laughs> and right. uh, Simon was, he got us across both platforms on uh, facebook.com slash a sporting discussion and at ASD underscore podcast on Twitter, uh, calling us out on this because he thought we were talking about the barriers that the horses go in. But Simon, I need to clarify for you, what I was actually talking about was the social aspect of the races. Uh, and when I said who goes into what cage, I was referring to bird cage and such. So I hope that's cleared up. Because that is what the Spring Racing Carnival is all about, AJ. Horses are secondary. Moving on, topical recap, Andrew. Proudly brought to you by Ultimate AFL Trivia. They're taking a little bit of a break through the AFL off-season, but normally they will provide daily AFL-related trivia questions. Search for them on Facebook. They can also run an AFL-themed trivia competition Anywhere in Australia. And we have been lucky enough to go to a couple of those nights and they are fantastic nights out. So keep an eye out and we will also be verbalising when these events are happening anywhere in Australia. Topical recap. On the social media, AJ, we had our old mate Grievous Bodily Charm. How good's that name? (laughs) Saying after listening to last week's episode, sounds like the ABL is more than capable to stand on its own two feet and grow the game post-MLB investment. Spot on. That was after our discussion with the ABL's general manager, Ben Foster, last week, uh, where he spoke about Major League Baseball uh, changing their relationship with Australian Baseball League. Yeah, that was really good. It was, it was. We we had Greg Furness with a, a cryptic tweet, which... We construe to be about the Ben Barber situation. Mm. Can we talk about the Ben Barber situation a little bit later, AJ? We'll, we'll talk about that in our wrap of the week. Um, we did. We put out a general call, we should say, for uh, topics people want to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Barber was one that popped up a little bit. Um, but we had Mark Pemberton, uh, who's given us three issues. Jared Haynes' IT skills. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was just all poor circumstance. When you leave... Uh, uh, it was a great way of proving what they were trying to tell the school kids that if you leave a network open, anything can happen. Yep. Anyway, you got you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do the lesson, do it right. Uh, we also got does Joe Watson deserve the Brownlow? 
No. He can't keep it. Well, he he deserved it when he won it because he was voted fair and square. But if it... uh, All the other rules that have... And rulings, sorry, that have happened since then... Fairest. Got to hand it back. Mm -hmm. Win it again if you're good enough, Job. And issue three from Mark Pemberton. A roof on the MCG. Now, for people who aren't in Melbourne... Um, this was a, a what a, a non-issue that was put on the front page of the Herald Sun. Yeah, the Herald Sun are having a competition to a ten-day focus in their newspaper. I think in conjunction with Channel Seven and Crown Casino to come up with ideas to make Melbourne a better place to live and a better place to visit, and. Putting a roof on the MCG was one of those ideas. My favourite one was uh, my favourite part of that whole thing, apart from it being a totally superfluous argument for a, for an idea that's never going to happen. Uh, the sketch person who put it together for the Herald Sun <laughs> did a picture. We'll, tra- we'll tweet it and we'll Facebook this. Did a picture of the MCG with a roof and the light towers outside <laughs> the enclosed roof. It was brilliant. Brilliant Genius, stuff. genius. I think that leads to... So, AJ was very quick on Facebook to say to Mark that we won't be talking about the, the roof on the MCG. And we will not. However, <laughs> I think that in future episodes, it's actually not a bad general topic to talk about the infrastructure that exists in, in Melbourne and in Australia for sporting events. And the well, stadiums are changing quite a lot. That's true. Yeah. And so if they've got any brains in, within the next 50 years, the MCG will have been knocked down and rebuilt. Which was a thought to do with Etihad Stadium, completely knock it down and start again. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of stadiums around Australia where they'll be trying to make them world class, but the only way is to knock them down. So I reckon we have a look at that one in a couple of weeks. All right, we will have a look in a couple of weeks. Now, we were contacted by John O Painting, who wanted to wanted us to talk about the cricket, in particular Steve Smith's LBW. John O, we'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast. So don't worry. And spoiler alert: it was out. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, Simon Carolyn got into us again, just pointing out that Melbourne United are last on the NBL ladder, and they today cut point guard Cedric Jackson, 2013 League MVP. Speaking of the NBL, AJ, there was also a little bit of argy-bargy between players and coaches and Andrew Gaze getting a little bit upset. That's on... right. Who was it? Sydney Kings, and I think it was Cairns Taipans. Yeah. Getting into it on, half, on the stroke of half time. Uh, I think that we need to get Damien Arsenis on the podcast in the next few weeks to, to have a chat about the NBL, but also about all of the Australians who are playing overseas, with, particularly with the uh, American leagues starting as well. Let's move on to cricket, Andrew, and the first test, which just completed itself in Perth. <laughs> it started out really well for the Australians on Thursday. Mm, well, let's see. I'll just I'll go through a couple of dot points, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. All right. 28 overs into the first test. South Africa were five down for 81 runs, five for 81. At the end of day one, South Africa had been bowled out for 242, and Australia were zero for 105. And Dave Warner and Sean Marsh were batting really well. Now, early on day two, Australia were one for 166. So that's what, 76-odd runs off South Africa's Mm -hmm. total. Dale Stane fractured his shoulder while he was bowling. Left the field and he's out for the entire series, robbing South Africa of probably the best fast bowler in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And from that position, <laughs> with South Africa down, down their best bowler, Australia won for 166, chasing 242 and about to put a mammoth total together on a supposed batting-friendly wicket. Australia managed to lose by 177 runs. And in cricket terms, that is a phenomenal-sized beating. Now, Andrew, we're not going to go into the ins and outs of what went wrong during the test because that's been covered elsewhere, uphill and down dale. So Mm -hmm. what we're going to do here, I'm going to say some names and I want you to decide their fate. You can only reply with one word. It's either in or it's gone. In or gone, okay. And it's it's great to say gone, but if you're going to say gone, you must have a replacement name ready to go. So you can only say in or gone and then give me a name. Ready? Ready. Oh, just before I start, I will say Sean Marsh has a broken finger, so he's out. He's gone. Gone, Joe Burns. Joe Burns, all right. Is that, that how this good. works? Yeah, yeah that's I've a good got this. All right, are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. Andrew? Usman Kawaja? In. Very well, moving on. Adam Voges. Gone. Callum Ferguson. Hmm. Okay. Mitch Marsh. Gone. Mm, Peter Hanscom. We had to think about that. Peter Siddle. Oh, gone. Joe Many. Now we should put an asterisk here and say Siddle is also injured. Of course he is. But, he's uh, an Australian let's, fast bowler. Let's, <laughs> let's pretend he's not injured. Mm-hmm. And you still say... Gone. Joe Many. Gone, Joe Many. All right. And a slightly controversial one, Nathan Lyon. Oh. One word. One word, and then if you think he's gone, give me a replacement. Gone? Oh! Ashton Agar. Oh we're, oh, we're bringing Ashton back, who just took 10 for about 100 in a Shield match for Western Australia. If I had more words, I'd be able to explain why, and it would involve Ashton Agar being a replacement for Mitch Marsh, really, but I'm not allowed to explain that. No, you're not. Now, Andrew, the second test starts this weekend in Hobart. Shocking weather is expected and a draw is likely. They're saying three to four days of this test are going to be rain affected. So have Australia, from the position they were in, have they effectively lost the series already? Well, yes. I think that you might be being a little bit generous, suggesting that three or four days being rain affected is going to mean that it's a draw. I think that Australia (laughs) have got every possible chance of collapsing horribly in two, two innings in... Hobart where the ball will be swinging and if it's going to be raining, it's going to be a bit of a green pitch and Australia could be bowled out for 150 in both digs. And South Africa do have bowlers who move the ball, especially Kagiso Rabada. Oh, I love him. Who's a fantastic bowler. Vernon Philander is built for swinging conditions. Yep. So he will be good. And they'll replace... Mornay Morkel should come in. Yeah, either Mornay Morkel or Kyle Abbott if Morkel is not 100% fit. Kyle Abbott. Now, it's funny you say swinging ball and spinning ball. There was a spinning debutante for South Africa whose name escapes me at the moment. Maharaj. Maharaj, that's the one. And he bowled reasonably well as well in his first outing. Yes. So we have batsmen that can't play swing and we have batsmen that can't play spin. Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? As in the, what can the Australian batsman do? Apart from pray that South Africa just puts on medium paces that are straight up and down all day. <laughs> like like Temba Bavuma. Oh, I think that the changes that I think that they should make will solve a lot of the issues. Uh, just mm. get blokes in there that, one, can be patient, and two, understand how to play a spinning ball like Peter Hanscom can, and... A swinging ball like Callum Ferguson can. Callum Ferguson has got the most beautiful technique. I love it. I love. Well, he's had about. many years to put that together because he's 32, isn't he? He is. And again, we have to lament the lack of under-23 talent in Australian cricket. 
Yep. Now, there's there's one interesting thing, Andrew, that I want to draw your attention to. During the week, and we tweeted it, um, it was uh, published on ABC Sport, uh, ABC Grandstand website, I think yep. it is. It says, Australia has not secured a draw when faced with a target in excess of 200 this decade. <laughs> now, um, South Africa, England, teams we are usually on top of for being stodgy, mm. can bat out time like nobody else. And it seems because for the decade prior to that, Australia only secured a draw four times, chasing in excess of 200. And we only have to go back to the last time South Africa were here when AB de Villiers and Faf Duplessis batted for almost a day scoring bugger all runs in Adelaide. So is it technique? Is it is it mentality? Mentality. Is it, are you sure? Because they don't go after the runs. They're kind of... We saw it in... Um, you don't think that David Warner's trying to sneak a quick single in the first 15 overs of the innings isn't going after the runs? But that's brainless. That's not going after the runs. That's brainless cricket. Yeah. I, I, because they, we seem to go... When we're chasing a big total... Mm. Let's say not like 210 or something like that. Let's say a big like 350 plus. Yep. Which these days seems to be the norm in fourth innings of tests. Um, We will go rocketing along, lose one wicket, try to shut up shop, and then everything goes to crap because they can't decide whether they want to score a run or put the bat down and block it or let it go. And technique and uh, cricket sense goes out the window. And that's where I think it's mentality. I just don't think that they understand when to attack and when to defend. We saw that in the first innings. When Dale Stain went off, one for 166, you know what you do? Crush him. Well, you stay out and bat as long as you can and mm. you keep uh, Cahizo Rabada and Vernon Philander bowling for as long as you can. Which, funnily enough, was exactly what South Africa did when they batted in their second innings. I think they batted two and a half days or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, look, I, I just think that they play with the wrong mentality. And where that comes from, I don't know. If you listen to Michael Clark in the commentary box, he was saying all throughout the second inning or the fourth inning, sorry, yeah. that Australia should be going for the runs, they should be positive, they yeah. should be aiming for them, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no. Even, even at eight down and with 300 to get. Yeah, yeah have a go. <laughs> but when you look at it, the you, you talk about you know chasing 350. 414 is the highest, or 418 is the highest ever score uh, achieved in a fourth innings. Fourth innings run chases are notoriously difficult. I think it was West Indies against Australia, but we'll, we'll might check that. That sounds week. right, yes. Yeah. But fourth innings run chases are notoriously difficult. So put up the shutters, get a draw and move on with your life. I don't think the Australian cricket team want to draw a game, and that goes back to the Steve War era. But you know what? The Steve War era had Hayden, Langer, Ponting, War, etc. They could go for for the runs and try to yeah, win. But they, they most but likely they didn't, would. As, as the stats show. Only well, four they, times in 20 years. True, but that's because they were chasing less than, less than 200. <laughs> yeah, they, they won, yeah, good point. They won 16 test matches in a row. That's right. But I think that there is just this want to be aggressive, to attack, to, you know, we've got to win, we've got to win, and there's no no value given to draw in a test match. In a three-test series, if your choices are score 540, draw or lose, surely the draw is option one that you're going for. Well, you'd think that, but that's not the case. AJ, last week we spoke about the Melbourne Cup horse racing and gave our ignorant tips. Ignorant, fearless tips, yes. Which which turned out all right, but anyway, that's what happens when you don't know anything. 
Well, that's the thing. We we don't really know a lot about horse racing. I don't understand the attraction, I've got to be honest. I've never been a big fan of horse racing. I've bet on it a lot, but we put the call out there for people who are interested in horse racing or with the passion for horse racing to get in contact with us. And we were contacted by Dan Jarvis, uh, who was a co-owner of the Group 1 race winning horse, Precious Gem. Uh, we spoke to Dan earlier today. Here's what happened. Dan Jarvis, welcome to a sporting discussion. Uh, thank you very much, Jess. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, Dan. Now, you were part owner in Group 1 winning horse, Group 1 race winning horse, Precious Gem, which was recently sold to stud for a reported uh, ballpark figure of about $850,000. So you have obviously had a great time following the horse racing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we, uh, um, Myself and a few mates who uh, used to play cricket thought it was a good way to keep in contact as uh, after a team sport, you tend to move apart and don't keep in contact as much as you should. And uh, we we had the opportunity to buy into a, a, a what was just to be a a bit of an interest from a racehorse perspective. And uh, she went on to uh, to Group One glory in the uh, Robert Sangster Stakes in Adelaide. Have you been interested and keen in horse racing prior to that, or was that your sort of impetus to to get really involved? No, I've had a long-time interest in horse racing. Uh, my father used to take me to Caulfield uh, as a youngster and we would spend a lot of time uh, when it was a lot more accessible and security was a little bit more lax um, <laughs> in, in, in the late 80s to go and spend a fair bit of time down at the stables oh, okay. uh, where you not only had accessibility to what would be classed as uh, lower-ranked horses, but also the, the the better runners of the day. So for me, it was more about uh, the entertainment side of uh, the animals, uh, and then later in life, the the social aspect. Uh, living around Caulfield Racecourse uh, meant that it was accessible to me. Uh, I'm a large group of people that I went to school with, and uh, people growing up with uh, attended the racetrack. It was probably became more of a social thing, um, and then. Post uh, post that, when an opportunity came uh, in working life to own a share in a horse or an, a number of horses, now it, um, it it really changed the way that uh, I looked at horse racing and the level of interest I had in it. And I guess that really sort of touches on the point that AJ and I were were talking about last week when we professed that we don't really know a lot about horse racing uh, and AJ in particular just sort of doesn't really have the, the history or the interest in it. So for you, we want to know what is the, the, the thing that gets you with horse racing. For you, is it the social aspect? Is it the horses? Is it the, the punting? Is it the owning of the horse? Or is it a combination of all of those? That's a really good question, and it's probably changed. I think initially um, my involvement in horse racing was purely financial from uh, trying to trying to get an edge on backing a winner but also having the uh, accessibility to uh, quite a vibrant social scene that seems to get well covered in the media regardless of how successful or unsuccessful any horse went. Mm-hmm. Um, and then post that, being having the opportunity to buy into a horse that opened up a whole new world to uh, effectively studying uh, breeding and understanding the the history of horses and trying to learn a lot of information from the trainers and those people who are 
what I'd class as real horse people to understand why uh, a horse is particularly suited to a shorter distance as opposed to a, a longer distance. Um, so for me, while the, the social side, and yes, I, I will admit that I still have a, a, a bet on the horses, um, that, uh, that it's opened up a whole new world to me um, that uh, it's just a, it's almost like a studying a new subject at school. It's just definitely uh, re-piqued my interest in the sport. Uh, that's great. I was just about to ask that because um, early on, I guess, like you said, everyone likes a punt, everyone likes to go have a few drinks and all that. But when Precious Gem uh, and you and your friends started getting some results out of it, I just wanted to just get a feel for how it changed your appreciation for the horse racing going from something like you know, a bit of a bit of hit and giggle, so to speak, into something a bit more serious. Is that is that? Am I on the right track there? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and you're right. Uh, she she went from a, a horse that you'd uh, hop in the car and, and go and watch at Benalla with uh, <laughs> sort of forty people and twenty of those being owners uh, <laughs> to to winning on Melbourne Cup Day in front of seventy or eighty thousand people. And I guess once you go and watch your horse like that and you, you get admission into the mounting yard and then you spend a little bit more time around the stables and you speak to the syndicate managers and also you, you get first-hand uh, opportunities to speak to the trainers and also those that uh, handle and prep the horses, uh, uh, the four men and women on, uh, on race day. And you end up having completely different conversations with them. It's more about the horse. How the uh, you know how the horse is feeding, how the horse is training, um, and and the likelihood of them running well. But what comes with that is also an assessment of the other horses in the race, and who's going to provide the speed in the race. Um, what are the tactics? And then probably my biggest educational point came on Melbourne Cup Day when Craig Williams rode her to victory, and he spoke to us, and I, he probably had all the owners. Um, just eating out of the palm of his hand and with a probably a minute and a half, 90 seconds to two minute chat about how he had envisaged the plan to race uh, on that day. And it was almost textbook, the fact that you could see the way the race unfolded and, and ultimately the victory. So all those things coming together have completely changed uh, my outlook on racing, but also piqued my my interest outside of the uh, the social and the, the, the I guess the monetary component where where people uh, bet on the races as well. So we can see that you're you know gained much more of an appreciation for the the horse side of things. How how does it make you feel as someone who you know is involved in that side of things when you see the front page of the paper after Oaks Day, Derby Day, Melbourne Cup Day of you know. Uh, sort of topless men and falling over women and people riding rubbish bins and this, you know, disgrace to the nation. How does that make you feel when you see the sport that you love so much and you're invested with because of the the horses be, I guess, dragged through the mud due to people that are just there for the social aspect? Mm -hmm. I think it got a little bit more coverage this year uh, due to the fact that the spring carnival itself outside of the phenomenal performance of Winks, didn't necessarily have a feel-good story. And I guess we could go back to Prince of Penzance and prior to that, we could have uh, Black Caviar, which which captured people's attention 
and the race result was on the front or back page of the paper. Uh, yeah, that's the, what was covered and yeah, the, the funny you should use that term disgrace of the nation. Um, <laughs> Got the coverage due to the fact that there wasn't that superstar, um, as I said, this year. And, and journos are sent out into the public to get that angle. They often take those photos very, very late in the day. I have even heard reports that quite a few of them are even staged. Um, because <laughs> Actually, I've heard that too, yeah. Journos are in the, yeah. in, out in and, the general admin for 10 minutes and say to people, hey, yeah. you, know, you lift our up or you go over there, yeah. And and the broadcasting network on free-to-air also send out roving reporters to sign, speak to these, uh, you know, early on in the day, uh, quirky or zany people, and then often try and follow them up later in the day, uh, potentially looking for a story. I think it's also on the back of the police, and uh, I know before the Flemington Carnival came out and said that they were going to be very heavy in finding people uh, with with that, and, of course, when the media picked up on an official press release, then they'd try and go and find photos um, that would uh, contradict the position of the, the racing club. How, how do I feel about that? Well, it, it, it's hard to say because to those people, that is their way of having a good time. They go to the races to socialise with friends. Unfortunately, um, and I... I'm no saint myself. I have been heavily <laughs> intoxicated, have been heavily intoxicated at the racetrack, but not to the point where uh, I think you mentioned people riding rubbish bins and, <laughs> and things like that. It is a bit unfortunate, and for me, who's a lover of the sport, to to have that, um, uh, I guess, raised its ugly head uh, is a bit unfortunate. I, I guess you could almost put it in the category of uh, a, um, a, a soccer fan complaining or saying that the flares get thrown on the front page of the paper when it's such a small minority of the people that attend. Mm. Yeah, good point. I think we might wrap it up on that note, Dan. Uh, we want to thank you for coming on to a sporting discussion. Uh, that was really interesting, especially for me who has no knowledge. I don't appreciate the tactics or the planning that goes into the races, I guess, now that I've, now that I've heard about it. Um, but we want to say thank you for coming on and uh, we hope to speak to you again soon. No worries, and thank you very much for having me. AJ, it has been well documented that 2016 has been the year of drought-breaking sporting events. It's just been incredible results. Worldwide. Worldwide. Every single sport you could possibly imagine. In the last week, we had the Chicago Cubs winning Major League Baseball's World Series. Mm-hmm. In What a game. Game <sighs> seven. It was incredible. I was at a, a bar watching that and there was a, a, a real-life Chicagoan or a Chicagan who <laughs> she was losing her mind. Oh, wow. So she had to... Would have been beside herself. She had to step outside as the rain fell at the end of the nine. It was, let's, let's say, we've had, what, Leicester, Cleveland Cavs, which, you know, to be fair, Cleveland Cavs had been in the finals the year before, so maybe that's not colossal. But, but the team also, they beat was colossal. And also they came from 3-1 down as did the Cubs. As did the Cubs, yes. Uh, Cubs were in huge trouble in all of their uh, series. Yeah. The divisional series, the uh, NLCS, the National League Championship Series and the Major and the World Series. 
and they just punched their way out of trouble. They flogged them at towards the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and even I feel for the Indians though. Yeah, because they now own the longest run without winning a World <laughs> Series. I think it's seventy six years or something like that. It's a long time, but I think that one of the greatest records that was set, or maybe not a record, but greatest uh, things about it was the reception that the Cubs got in Chicago. They had a celebration in the streets. There were five million people there. It was the seventh largest recorded gathering of humans of all time. Just incredible. Uh, Now, there is one thing I need to say, Andrew. Yes. And it is, uh, you know, with Leicester came, oh, this team of little battlers who came up from nowhere and blah, 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 blah. Same with the Western Bulldogs and Cronulla and all of that. And uh, people have tried to say that about the Cubs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but because it was 108 years and they'd been a joke of a franchise, of a club for decades yep. until recently when they started getting it together. I'm just going to read you a number okay. to give this some context. 112619047 dollars That's a lot of money. That is the Chicago Cubs payroll. <laughs> <laughs> That's the seventh highest payroll in Major League Baseball. So whilst Leicester spent a lot of money in the back room and not necessarily on the players, the Cubs didn't have that issue. They they the had Cubs the money have on the players. A really, re- their general manager Theo Epstein has been really, really good at rebuilding the franchise, and he has identified young players that they want that they want, and he's paid them a fortune. And he was also in charge of the Red Sox when he was when they, they came back came from back. three and one in the American League Championship Series against the Yankees and went on to win the World Series. I think eighty four year drought or something yeah. like that. Yeah, so he can write his own check for whatever job he so wants in the industry. It's an incredible achievement, but I won't hear anything about how it's a bunch of battlers come good yeah. because it is not. Western Bulldogs times 10,000. I'll give you a bunch of battlers come good. That happened in Chicago a couple of days after. How good was this? The Irish rugby union team playing the All Blacks, the all-conquering All Blacks who had won 18 matches in a row. World record. A world record. They had played 38 times over 111 years. So let's say that's once every three years they had played against the All Blacks and they had lost every single time until, what was the... Sunday Soldier, morning. Soldier, Soldier Field, Field. where the Chicago Bears play. 40 to 29. Yep. Just incredible. Yeah. Well, I saw some highlights because it wasn't you weren't able to see it anywhere in um, Australia. It wasn't telecast live. No. And I was live blogging the Australia-New Zealand Four Nations Rugby League game. But I was keeping an eye on the score. And you should have – just unbelievable scenes, Andrew. Well, what I, what I really liked about it was the reaction of the New Zealand media. Mm. If that happened in Australia, I could imagine they go, oh, yeah, it was an end-of-season tour and they weren't taking it serious. It was a practice yeah. match and we didn't have our best players. New Zealand media said... Or crisis. Or crisis. <laughs> Australian yeah. rugby in crisis like it was in June with the, when England beat us. That's it, right. I've digressed. Go on. But, yeah, the, the New Zealand media have just gone, oh, yeah, there were three players who, who weren't there and a couple of guys got injured, but, geez, weren't Ireland good? Yeah. <laughs> It's just so refreshing to hear the the sports media of a country not mm. being so parochial towards towards well, or against I guess their when, own country. When you are the best of the best of the best, these things yeah. will occasionally happen, and you you know that the next time it's not going to be so, <laughs> so so similar. So you can afford to take it in your stride a little bit. Have we got another long drought in, that, that that could be broken in the next 
We do. We've got one. We've got one on the weekend. Oh, Monday morning our time. England are playing Australia in the Four Nations Rugby League. Yeah, England haven't beaten Australia in twenty one years. In that's rugby a league. that's a streak. That's a drought. And they the reason they won that game was because there was I think Ricky Stewart and Bradley Clyde and all that had had won a court case against Australian Rugby League. To play in the game or something like that. I'm not 100% sure. I'll, let me revisit that next week. All right. But 21 years. <laughs> Nearly time to whip this one home, Andrew. Let's go with uh, some fast things. We don't know how many there are because I haven't <laughs> looked at the run sheet. <laughs> it could be anything. Let's get into the first one. The Aussie Netball League. Has a name. It's called Super Netball. Yes. With a corporate name in front of that. But that corporation don't give us any money, so they don't get named on a sporting discussion. Yeah, bugger them. Yeah. I like it. I like that it's, you know, they've come out, it's bold, it's bright, it's new, it's, you know, it's super, like super rugby. That's, you know, like a... Super, super netball with a lovely pink abstract looking N logo. Yeah. The Don't, you were you were tweeting how great it was. No, no I was going to say there, oh, trash. There has been you. there has been some comments about the fact that it's a a pink logo, and focus group crap. Well, focus group garbage that obviously has. <laughs> Anyway, off. <laughs> if the, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, anyway. If the focus anyway, groups say that's Channel what's... Nine, Channel Nine, own your sport, netball people. This is what you've brought upon yourselves. We better move on, Andrew. Play the whoosh noise. Andy Murray is the new number one tennis player in the world, AJ. We know how much you love tennis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tennis. I don't mind tennis. I don't mind Andy Murray. I used to think he was a bit of a loser and I enjoyed watching him lose Grand Slams, but he's actually a really good player. He's number one for a reason. He, re- he first reached number two in the world in August 2009. And since, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Since then, he's had seven different stints as the number two player in the world and that has totaled 76 weeks. And finally, finally... He is going to be, or he is, world number one. Good on him. Took a long time for someone to dethrone Novak Djokovic. A long, long, long time. And this is a big changing of the guarding tennis because Roger Federer, I think, has dropped out of the top ten for the first time in more nearly 20 years or something like that. Yeah, I think he might be 16 and uh, our own Nick Mm. Kyrgios is is 13. 13. Now, just on Kyrgios, Mm. um, he and Andy Murray are quite uh, quite good friends or colleagues, do you call it? On the on the circuit on the on the circuit, I'm not so sure. So there's what... a there's a chance that um, uh, that sort of relationship could really have a good benefit for Nick Kyrgios, um, working well with the world number one. Absolutely. Just very quickly on Nick Kyrgios, he uh, he he took on the the mentoring or the assistance, the support that he needed to to reduce his suspension and. Channel 7 Sport put a Facebook uh, or put an article out saying Nick Kyrgios has now completed his reduced ATP band but mystery surrounds what counselling the tennis star received. Uh, as as I suggested, <laughs> is it really anybody's business as to what counselling he got? And Robert Fleming, he responded saying, it seems some think the Health Records Act doesn't apply to professional sports people. It's horrendous to me that he was A, forced under penalty to seek mental health support and B, that anyone other than he and his mental health professional even know that this was recommended to him. Andrew, the Wallabies beat Wales to win their second game of the, or the first game of the Grand Slam tour over in Europe. Uh, there's some good signs there are there 
there's been a lot of issues with Australian rugby over the past 12 months. It seems to be the – there's talk going around that the fact that they've been able to have a lot of time in camp together and work together a, a lot better rather than ha- – Having having to, having to uh, commitments is making it making things good again. Are they finally figuring out how best to use Hooper, Pocock, uh, Falau, and and actually getting blokes in the right positions? Well, they don't know how to use Falau, but uh, I no. think they've uh, uh, let's say mixed results of the uh, what was it called the rugby championship? Yep, um, uh, some good wins, but some quite poor losses, particularly to the New Zealand, but. Um, Looking good over in Europe. Um, what have they got coming up? Scotland this week. They should win that, but mm-hmm. Scotland are no pushovers. But um, uh, just it just goes to show, I guess, the how how well they can go. And we see this with the soccerers too when they're able to be in camp for a while, as compared to dragging people out two days ahead of the game. Last one, AJ. We mentioned this at the top of the show. Steve Smith being given out LBW then referring it, mm-hmm. still being given out. and Backyard the, experts all said it was not out. Well, the world exploding and Mitch Marsh was given not out LBW. South Africa reviewed it and he was given out again. Both because experts. they were going to be hitting the stumps, I imagine? Well, the people... That, that seemed to be the point people, lost on a lot of people. People in the commentary box and a lot of fans on social media decided that they, with the naked eye, knew better than uh, the best umpire in the world who mm. was standing there at the time and the best technology in the world to be able to determine whether the ball was actually going on to hit the stumps. I think the problem is the recent change to the DRS rule, which I think used to be more than 50% of the ball had to be hitting the stumps, mm-hmm. but now it's any part of the ball can be hitting the stumps. Yeah, and I think that's because the technology has actually got the ball tracking a little bit better um, better. The, my favourite part of all of that was Mark Taylor criticising the new rulings uh, when Mark Taylor was on the rules committee which approved it. And that'll do us for episode 36 of A Sporting Discussion. Don't forget, if you have an issue you'd like us to talk about next week, hit us up on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. We reply, don't worry. Tweets or comments are signed off with either AJ for myself or AD for himself. Don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe to a sporting discussion on whatever podcast service they use. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, Player.fm. But we recommend that you listen via Wooshka, our lovely hosts are an Australian company who host all of our audio. You can download the Wooshka app or listen on wooshka.com uh, when you want to have a sneaky listen at work. Make sure you leave us a review as well. We do love reviews. AJ, will you be doing any live blogging of upcoming Four Nations Rugby League matches? There's a chance, but it depends if I want to be up at 1am on Monday morning for Australia versus England or I think it's 630 Sunday morning for Scotland, uh, uh, New Zealand, but we'll see. We'll see. Your, your commitment to the game of rugby league <laughs> and to the raw.com.au will be tested. <laughs> uh, there's definitely stuff coming on rugbyleaguehub.com, rugby league's home on the internet. So keep an eye out there. We'll tweet all of that. Andrew, you are coming up to your regular appearance, 7.15am on 3RRFM 102.7 in Melbourne? Yes, yes. I won't be talking cricket because that doesn't seem to be going down no, too they, well with the hipster audience. Nothing but silence when you were to- dropping all these cricket bombs. It was quite <laughs> funny. Yep. <laughs> all you need to do is relate it to the Western Bulldogs, Andrew. Uh, you know what? Let's leave it there. Yes. <laughs> it's sign off from <laughs> me, Andrew Donison, and from him, AJ Mithen. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>